If we look at the challenges around climate change, around 55% of CO2 emissions can be solved by switching completely to renewables. But the 45% that remain cannot be solved in that way. If we look at circular principles and apply those three principles to materials such as steel, cement, plastic, food and aluminium, we find that of that 45% that remains, around half can be saved. That's the equivalent of taking all global transport off the road and out of the air. So circular economy plays a really key role in solving many of the problems around climate change. Welcome to the Circular Economy podcast by the Ellen MacArthur Foundation. This is a Circular Economy show podcast produced by the Ellen MacArthur Foundation, where we develop and promote the idea of a circular economy, engage actors to make it happen, and mobilize systems solutions at scale. My name is Maya Adams, and I'm part of the learning team here at the Foundation, and I'll be your host for this episode. In this episode, we'll be speaking about circular economy and climate change. The voice you just heard was from Ellen MacArthur on the importance of a circular economy in addressing climate change. It's becoming increasingly clear that we cannot fix our climate unless we also fix our economy, which is currently accelerating climate change and the destruction of biodiversity. Introducing circularity to business models to tackle emissions is vital. Joining me today is Carmen Valake Atina, the Project and Communications Manager of Climate Change at the Ellen MacArthur Foundation. Hi, Carmen. Thank you so much for being part of this podcast. Hi, Maya. And hi, everyone. Thank you for having me. So, first, to get a better idea of how businesses are linking the circular economy to their climate goals, we'll hear from Laura Vaikaria, the CSR manager at Mud Jeans, and James Lundstrom, the head of circular economy at Volvo Cars. Following that, we'll also hear from Chad Frischman, the vice president and research director at Project Drawdown, who will explain what exactly Drawdown is and how we can get there. Just as a reminder, this episode of the Circular Economy Show podcast is based on a recent conversation we had as part of our Circular Economy Show program. If you'd like to watch the whole show, you can find the link in the episode description. Before we hear from our guests, Carmen, the title of this episode is Joining the Dots, Climate Change and the Circular Economy. What exactly does joining the dots mean? That's a very good question, Maya. The leading environmental challenges of our time, biodiversity loss, climate change, waste and pollution are all interconnected. We cannot address one if we don't address the other two. And we need to address them in such a way that the needs of our society are also provided for. Now, there is no silver bullet to, to solve these complex issues, but overhauling our economy and fueling it with renewable energy, eliminating waste and pollution, keeping materials in use, and regenerating natural systems are necessary to meaningfully tackle these challenges. So for us, joining the dots or connecting the dots is a call to action for leaders from government, from business, from the investment and finance community, from international organizations and others to understand, if they haven't done so already, the interrelatedness of these issues and to reflect this interrelatedness in their policies and their business strategies. So how does the circular economy tackle climate change? So I'll use the three principles of a circular economy to, to illustrate exactly what the connection is between the circular economy and climate change. So by eliminating waste and pollution, the circular economy reduces emissions across entire value chains. Whereas by keeping products and materials in use, we retain the embodied emissions in those products and materials. And by regenerating natural systems, a circular economy stores carbon in soil and in products. Now, 
These might sound a little theoretical, so let me just use the example of, say, cars to illustrate what it is that we mean. So oftentimes when people think about the climate impacts uh, of cars, they think about exhaust fumes, and rightfully so, exhaust fumes are a massive problem. Electrifying transport helps to address part of that problem, but it won't be enough, right? Um, even if we switch to 100% electric vehicles, we will still need to use materials to produce all those vehicles. And there are a lot of issues associated with that production process, with the availability of the materials, um, and also with the climate impacts resulting from those materials. So, for example, an electric vehicles, you know, an electric vehicle might have a lower climate impact compared to a, a vehicle based on a, an internal combustion engine. But that impact will not be zero. It will be roughly half compared to you know, a, a diesel-based car at the moment. Um, so the circular economy is basically a challenge for, for our society to think about mobility differently. Do we actually need to run on, on a system that's based on people owning cars? Is that actually a necessity? Or could the system work in such a way where we can access the places that we need to access and use vehicles or other means of mobility whenever we need them to access those places? And in that kind of a of a scenario, you know, there are other implications that, that come about. So, for example, would we need all the parking lots that we have in cities that also sit idle the majority of the time? And would we need to use construction materials to erect those parking lots? Or could we actually, you know, leave the space for other uses in our already crowded cities, for example, for parks or for housing or for other purposes in general? So that's really what the connection is between the circular economy and climate change. It's basically a challenge for us to take a step back and to think about the bigger picture that will reduce not only our climate impacts, but in general, the environmental impacts of our economy. Mm, thanks, Carmen. From what you're saying, I'm he really hearing the importance of just like reframing our relationship with what we use and really an emphasis on the needs we have as opposed to, I'd say, wants. <laughs> um, so I guess my next question would be, why is it so important for companies um, to link the circular economy to their climate goals? Well, so in my day-to-day -day work, I'm noticing that companies are increasingly putting a lot of effort and funding behind their climate strategies and activities, and rightfully so. I'm also noticing that oftentimes, you know, there are different teams in companies that work on climate change and circular economy. So these efforts are separate. Now, there is some legwork that needs to be done to join the dots between the circular economy and climate at company level. Um, efforts that entail, for example, measurement uh, of impact, documenting and reporting, and so on and so forth. But joining the dots is necessary, particularly for companies active in industry, in agriculture, and in land use, if they are to maximize, you know, the reduction of emissions uh, from their activities. So companies need to understand what is the full spectrum of activities that they're carrying out that are helping to address their climate impacts. Hence the importance of joining the dots. Thank you, Carmen. Now let's hear from Laura from Mud Jeans to really see what Mud Jeans is doing to become a fully circular business. The fashion industry is one of the most polluting industries in the world. It's also accountable for 4% of the world's waste production. So at Mud Jeans, we use circularity not only to lower our environmental impact, but also our creation of waste. So through our 
circular business, particularly taking back our genes and using that material to make new products, we are able to take responsibility over the end of life of our product and we prevent it ending up ending up in a landfill or incinerated, causing further environmental impact. But also we are increasing the amount of recycled content that we're using, which lowers the amount of new virgin material that we're taking in. And that as a consequence actually has a really positive environmental uh, effect in that we're not causing so much environmental impact. In fact, we conducted an LCA in 2019 and we knew and we know that by using not only uh, organic cotton, but up to 40% post-consumer recycled cotton in our genes. Our genes um, have a 70% lower CO2 impact than industry standard and a 92% lower water consumption than industry, industry standard. And those are significant values. And as we keep on growing and, and keep on becoming more and more circular, we hope to make those numbers even bigger. Medjeans, the main difference is that we're a circular denim company. And what that means is that we incorporate circularity across our business. Simply put, we actually take our old jeans, recycle them, and reincorporate them back into production. Um, we have a very short supply chain. And with our Lisa Jeans model, we encourage our customers to send back their jeans once they're done using it. When the jeans come back to us, we recycle it. And as I mentioned, reincorporate it back into production. So we're able to keep our raw material in a circular use. One of the key characteristics of mud jeans is what Laura just mentioned. They have a very short supply chain. We have a very short supply chain. Primarily, it's four main supply chain partners. We start in Recover, where our jeans are uh, recycled and turned into fiber, um, blended in with GOTS certified organic cotton, turned into a yarn. Then we move to Tejidos Rollo, where the yarn is dyed and turned into a fabric. And then we move to Ustex International, and they turn that fabric, they cut it, stitch it, and wash it into a brand new pair of, of denim jeans. This is very unique for the denim industry because, A, it's very short. So uh, three of those supply chain partners are in Spain, and the third one, uh, the fourth one, excuse me, is in um, Tunisia. And so we keep everything quite close, and that helps us actually have a very low environmental impact as well. More importantly, we also have a very close relationship with them. Uh, you cannot have a circular business without a close relationship with your supply chain partners. Another creative thing Mud Jeans is doing is leasing their jeans. So the concept of leasing is uh, something that well is what Mud Jeans is actually famous for, and the idea behind it is to challenge the idea of ownership and give our customers the opportunity to still own something new, but not having the environmental anxiety of owning a new product. The way it works is that our customers can lease a pair of jeans for twelve months. Uh, the first lease will cost you nine ninety five per month. Um, and at the end of those 12 months, those jeans are, of course, yours. But the idea is that we ask our customers to send back the jeans um, so that we can recycle it or make it part of our vintage collection. That is, of course, if they no longer want the jeans. Um, should they want the jeans, they're welcome to keep them as long as they want. And it doesn't stop there. They have more on the horizon. 
We're actually really excited. We want to take a big leap towards being even more circular, and that is achieving a pair of jeans that is 100% made from post-consumer recycled cotton. So we call this objective the Road to 100, and we're working with uh, Saxion University. And the objective is to combine two types of recycling. It's, it's a combination of chemical recycling with mechanical recycling. And by the end of 2021, we hope to have the first sample and hopefully if all goes well, then the years to follow, we will be able to provide our customers with a pair of jeans that is 100% made from post-consumer recycled cotton, which means lower environmental impact and lower biodiversity impact. Conversations on sustainable fashion are often met with some skepticism over the price of the clothing. We asked Laura how they address this skepticism at Mud Jeans. I think we try always to empower our customers with knowledge about sustainability, but also explain why our product costs what it costs. Um, you know, at Mudgeons, we pay the true cost of our materials. The issue at hand is that, unfortunately, due to fast fashion, there has been a misconception of what fashion costs, what labor costs, what the materials cost. But if the product you're buying is really low at a low price, somebody somewhere along the supply chain is paying for that. And we don't want that. So we try to interact with our customers and demonstrate what that means, but also explain the concepts of slow fashion, which is you know really taking up an item, cherishing it, using it for a long time. And that also extends to buying products that are better quality and that are made with certain materials so that they can be circular or easily recyclable. Um, so these are the things that we love to interact and talk to with, with our customers, for sure. So we can see that Mud Jeans has reduced the need for virgin material through a combination of design, a shorter supply chain, and an innovative business model. They are also pushing for a new way to interact with fashion, one that moves towards cherishing and using apparel for a longer time. Now, Carmen, let's turn our attention to the mobility sector. How does the circular economy that tackles climate change look like for mobility sector? In short, a circular economy scenario for the mobility sector is one that is electric, that is access-based, that is interconnected, and that is adaptable. We've covered earlier in the podcast the importance of switching to electric vehicles to mitigate the emissions associated with the fuel, so how we power our mobility system. I've also mentioned the importance of looking at materials. And one of the main strategies that we've identified to address the climate impacts of the materials that go into our cars is to have um, more durable vehicles that are shared. So that's the access-based part of the equation. There's also the issue of interconnectedness. Um, how do we redesign our urban environments, our cities, to enable people to access the, the places that they need to access more easily. And there's the adaptability part of the equation. As our uh, urban environment changes, as we, we switch to a more and more uh, urbanized world, uh, we need to think of what will be the future pressures on our mobility sector and to account for those pressures in the infrastructure that we're building today. Great, Carmen. Thank you. I think that's a perfect segue to kind of hear about what's happening in the industry itself. So let's hear a bit more from James Lundstrom, the head of circular economy at Volvo Cars, who discussed how they are changing the way they design, make and use their cars to meet their circular and climate ambitions. 
so in essence, we have been working now for a number of years with both uh, a long-term setup and a short-term setup. So the long-term setup is that we have said that we will be carbon neutral by 2040. And that, in order to realize that, that also means that we need to be a circular business or a circular company by 2040. Because as was mentioned here earlier, even for a, an energy intense product like a vehicle during its use phase, still roughly 40 to 45% of the total carbon impact comes from design and operations around the vehicle, both in production, service, and, and end of life. Now, to reach that target, we've then broken it down and started with a, a sort of a, a set of circular targets and carbon impact targets towards 2025 as well. It's interesting that a significant part of the carbon impacts originate in the design phase of the vehicles. Let's hear more about what they're planning to do to achieve carbon neutrality and circularity. What we have done is doing a complete mapping of our carbon impact during use phase, during production phase, during our own operations, manufacturing and service. And we've created an internal map where we can see what every step of the detail has impact in terms of the materials we use, the logistics linked to them, where the suppliers are located. And based on, on carbon impact and financial savings, because in the end, we have to achieve all of this in being carbon neutral, but we also have to be a profitable business. We've identified a number of key areas. So right now, towards 2025, key focus is on uh, recycling and renewable materials. It's about minimizing waste in our own operations, uh, minimizing unnecessary transports uh, and renewable energy in our own operations. Like Mudjeans, one of the ways Volvo is aiming to become circular is by offering a sharing and subscription-based vehicle service. Becoming a circular business means that we're looking at a future where we have to differentiate the, the ownership models of a vehicle. And so we already today have three options, essentially, to consumers, a little bit depending on where in the world you are, where you can buy the car, you can subscribe to a car, like you essentially subscribe to a cell phone. And when you don't want a car, you hand it back and we can take care of it and make it ready for the next customer. And we've also started with uh, having transport as a service, which is a company we call M, uh, which we're rolling out now since about two years, where you only pay as you go for the amount of time where you use the car and otherwise it's just in the app and parked at a close by space where you want it. We also discussed with James what else needs to happen to reach their 2025 goals and whether they're on track. We're doing circular efforts in a linear economy. So we do see that the, the ambition levels that we have put up, which if they all work out, will lead to a carbon, carbon impact reduction by 40% compared to 2018. And we believe that we can do that in, if I say, a traditional business model with traditional suppliers, uh, just by becoming more efficient, becoming more aware of where we have waste in our operations, not physically, but, but process-wise, um, and, and then working together with suppliers and making the right choices in terms of material and getting their feedback on what potentially that has impact on how we use the components uh, or how we service and plan for that. Uh, I think that the big step is when we're going 25 and beyond, where we have to start looking at how we actually design our products and how we think about the usage. And I would say that what we've seen so far is that we are, we're well on track with our progress and we are definitely being able to, are able to show that we can do this in a very profitable way and we can have our suppliers coming along on that journey. 
For an automotive company like Volvo to commit to carbon neutrality and adopt circularity is no small feat and is very exciting. Like James has already said, the design, make and use of the components play a big role in achieving these goals. Now, moving on from industry-specific examples to a bigger picture on how to address climate change, we're going to go to a vibrant cafe in the middle of Mexico City, where we spoke to Chad Fishman from Project Drawdown. First, we had to ask what exactly Drawdown is and how to achieve it. So what Drawdown is, is that point in time when those atmospheric concentrations of greenhouse gases begins to decline on a year-to-year basis. It's essentially when we're taking out more of those heat-trapping gases than we're putting in to Earth's atmosphere. And the proposition is, is really pretty simple. When we can change the concentrations of those gases like carbon dioxide, methane, nitrous oxide, and, and fluorinated gases, we can essentially stop global warming and begin the long process of reversing it. And this is an actual prerequisite to solving the climate emergency that we're facing today uh, and in future generations to come. First things first, we have to understand where are the sources of those emissions coming from to start with? Because if we can know where the sources are, then we can find the solutions to uh, the, the, the sources of the problem itself. Well, once, we, uh, once greenhouse gases are already in the atmosphere, we need to identify what are the natural sinks, the mechanisms that we have available to us to pull carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere and store it. We luckily have uh, natural carbon sinks that happen. So how do we enhance those sinks? And then really, how do we fundamentally change society itself so that when we are implementing these solutions, we do so from a, a human rights-based approach with justice, equity, and inclusion at the core of everything we do when we implement that system of solutions. And when we think about you know, uh, our energy systems, we think about uh, the electricity that's generated from coal, oil, and gas when we turn on our lights, or uh, you know, the gas that's burned in our furnaces to heat our homes, the, 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 the petrol burned in our internal combustion engine, and we're combusting things in engines uh, to move us from point A to point B, and even the food that we consume produces emissions, and how we produce that food uh, creates emissions. And, um, and of course, even industry, think of all the smokestacks on those factories that are churning out emissions to produce all the stuff that we consume on a day-to-day basis that typically gets thrown away uh, and never used again, or gets used with limited lifetimes. So we need to really fundamentally think of entire system of sources to shift to an economy built on life, built on circularity, built on uh, utilizing the resources that we already have in the system, and then using new materials that generate or regenerate to create that abundance. And that's how we can reduce the sources of emissions to zero. Further along in the conversation, Chad makes a link between improving society and tackling climate change by ensuring free and safe access to family planning, voluntary reproductive health care, and women's empowerment. You know, what does that lower population, future population estimate mean in terms of electricity generation, buildings, transportation, industry, food, agriculture? And also uh, remember that these choices about family size, uh, onset of the late onset of marriage and so on have uh, an impact on people uh, families entire life trajectories um, in terms of their uh, capacity for economic growth um, their own sustainability and so on um, 
and the choices they make. And that's where education comes in, because education for 12 to 18 years of schooling, um, uh, data shows, has an increased uptake of family planning as a starting point, but also improved economic uh, activity for families um, and uh, and better and better choices when uh, sustainability um, and as part of that educational uh, framework. And also connecting people and planet becomes embedded. Education not only has the impact of increasing um, uh, the uptake of uh, those the family planning resources, but also and then have an effect on population, um, but also has the effect of in overall increasing use of more sustainable practices when that education is um, when the quality of education includes um, uh, a focus on climate, planet, and people. So, what do we need to do to ensure that drawdown actually happens? Let's hear more from Chad. We need all of these solutions across all of these areas of human activity. And we, we, we evaluate uh, over 82, our research team, and I look at 82 solutions that cover all of these different um, areas of activity, all these different sectors. And, um, and so first of all, there are no top 10. This is not going to happen. There, there are some that are obviously more substantive, but if you look at the 25 or so of the most substantive solutions in terms of their climate impact, these cover food systems, agriculture, land use, um, uh, uh, electricity production, buildings, transportation, all of those sectors are represented in those 25. So we need all these sectors to be addressed and we need them to do it so urgently because of the, the urgency of the climate emergency that we're facing today. So that's a starting point. There are no silver bullets. To explore more of the solutions that Project Drawdown has offered for both a 1.5 and 2 degree climate pathway, you can visit their website at drawdown.org. So, Chad has taken us through a variety of actions that should be implemented to address climate change, including education, as well as changing the way we consume and use energy. We have also seen two great examples of how circularity is used by mud jeans and Volvo cars to address their climate targets regarding energy and resource use. Both businesses have shown us the importance of collaboration throughout the supply chain as a way to reduce environmental harm, as well as to create resilience in the face of COVID. There is a clear link. If we want to address climate change, we need to redesign the way the economy is working currently. So we've come to the close of this episode. Carmen, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Maya. It's been an absolute pleasure to be here. So listeners, don't forget to subscribe, like, and share our podcast to help spread the word. Again, to see the full conversation this podcast is based on, please look up the Circular Economy Show on the Ellen MacArthur Foundation website. Thank you for listening in, and we'll see you next time on the Circular Economy Show podcast. Thanks for listening to the Ellen MacArthur Foundation Circular Economy Podcast. Don't forget to share, rate and subscribe.